You drinking bourbon? You drinking bourbon? You drinking bourbon? guest to the show for the very first time in a very long time why is he frozen has he frozen <laughs> <laughs> has he frozen for you too oh my goodness there he is oh there he is i saw okay. the argument wow what happened there? there's so much drama so much suspense um so yeah we'd like to welcome the stranger oh we live we're on two no, we're just recording two age sojourner has been um yeah well it's been emphasis on the two you know <laughs> <laughs> and uh dichotomist and, covenantalism as opposed to tri coven yeah yeah oh, we've, we've, we've missed you bro but you know we even got i don't know if you saw that comment on youtube um you know some people kind of got a little bit yeah. angry that you that you had just gone away and yeah felt well, that you were even the best not, part of the show they said that. it's not the best way to find out you've been fired yeah <laughs> you know so that, who are you, who are you paying in your church bro <laughs> um yeah all right so we're back uh it's been a few weeks we're just that's how we roll these days we're trying to get through uh nick's drinking bourbon so Mm. you know that's taken us all by surprise we've got more books in our library look behind everyone and you see books everywhere just books books as far as the eye can see that means uh you know, it's just something good. I'll be is honest, I, I had to borrow someone else's books just to put this behind me. Uh, I, I can see at least two copies of BB Warfield amongst us. I'm I know, sure there's all, a third copy. Yeah, we, we should we should make our BB <laughs> Warfield uh, columns just like extend in a in a row like that. It should, yeah. You know, just join our screens <laughs> by BB <laughs> Warfield. I quoted Warfield on Sunday on Canada City. Mm. Man, it's such yeah. A well, if you're going to quote him on anything, that's mm-hmm. probably it. That's true. You know, I still haven't read Inspiration. Um, well, what's that book? Revelation Inspiration. What's it called? The his famous one. That one. Yeah. Yeah, that, that one. one. That one. I still haven't yeah. read that one. I've read a lot of other Warfields, but never yeah. read, never read that one. Ah, uh, yeah, that's the only one I think I've read properly from Warfield. It was great. Oh, Excellent. what's what's classic is uh, the Plan of Salvation is not in the collected works, and that's my favorite one. Ah, oh, true. That's on the decree. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. Mm. anyway so there we go um and we are back and we're moving through covenant theology and um we have more to say on on the topic as we go through uh this book that uh i have been putting on the show notes have you been seeing that i have not uh, i'm very impressed i've given up on the show notes it's it's there you know probably people don't check them but the book is there if you can and um It'll, I could say with a fair degree of confidence that th- it'll be on the show notes this time as well because I've got my little thing that I just copy and paste and it's there already from the last time. And so it's going to go in. So what we're looking it's at It's amazing is, what you get done when you finish your PhD, eh, Mike? I know. A uh, whole world. whole world opens up. Um, covenant theology, biblical, theological, historical perspectives. Uh, that's the book that we are looking at. Uh, it's really just a compilation of essays uh, which you know we just find helpful to to work through because it does deal with uh, the the greater topic of of system uh, of at least covenant theology in a systematic way and mm. um, it helps us just to talk through it in a way that might be a little bit more beneficial than otherwise if we were uh, for anyone that is wanting to listen in and actually kind of grow <laughs> you know in in some way shape or form or even read along with those essays and see what you think in light of what we're saying uh, just to keep the the, the conversation going and just um and i suppose with everything that we do and everything that we read and kind of the niche of of what we're shooting for you in the podcast anyways is just to take uh that theology of meredith klein and and um uh, on the covenantal angle certainly some of the two age um uh, eschatology things some of the two kingdom side as well and, and just really bring it to bear uh, on uh you know all these all these various matters and uh and as the as the slogan goes you know this is we're just trying to figure out what it means to do life in the two ages right that's what it ends up looking like and um and just think through theology um and the implication of those two ages um would you like to say something now nick 
I'm just checking because I mean, just before we started, you told me I was talk I was still long winded and um, and I should just shut up more. So maybe maybe uh, maybe I'll just do that now. No, but so Mike, was, we used yeah. we used the first fifteen minutes of your monologue to prepare yeah. our thoughts. And then yeah, yeah. Well, that's good. just the part I just go skip skip skip. Ah, uh, there we go. I could just stop now. I could. I could do it. <laughs> I, th I, th I, I tell you what find. I did think. I think you'll what you'll find is that there was actually more to these things than you realize. You know, if I just stop, <laughs> that's what I think personally. Yeah, yeah. I feel like you might miss me a little bit. You know, Mike, your contributions are valuable, and we love you, man. All right, yeah, thank you. Just looking for a little validation every now and again. <laughs> um, okay, so now we're onto the Mosaic Covenant, um, mm. and uh, we didn't like the last one, uh, the Abrahamic Covenant. Uh, I'm not even going to mention the guy's name again. He's dead to me cut him off you know uh the the, the next guy um uh, is not faring much better uh unfortunately uh jay nicholas reed again like hey nothing against you personally brother if you're listening probably not listening but anyway uh if you are you know it's just it's just a it's just a thing yeah we're just talking through this we're not going to critique his essay thoroughly we're not going to do it justice uh it's not even a critique so if actually if it came down to it and you needed to choose between what we say and what he says just go with him because he's he's done the essay um just take us as the peanut gallery we're trying to be but for what it's worth you know we have got a few thoughts on the essay and uh it does represent one of those points of you know at which the the, the grouping of essays is quite diverse you've got some people as we've said who mm. are really tracking along with klein 100 there uh which we like and and then some some points that they veer off and um i mean look there's a lot you know, one of the things that maybe just as a sort of way to start off and um obviously when you're dealing with a subject like the mosaic covenant you have to just appreciate up front that you are not i mean it, it's been a big topic right and it's and people have looked at this from every angle and it's not like they haven't considered the various possibilities and and so you have various traditions and you know you do just have a little slice of the pie one drop in the ocean you don't you don't want to be too arrogant with that and you know, it's really just a matter of okay look my conviction falls on this area um this is what i think is going on and then just just being peaceable and ironic with that as long as it's not leading to other things like theonomy obviously is going overkill and and that's where it starts hampering with all sorts of things including the gospel and so forth uh, mission but there are other elements there are the other views of the mosaic covenant that people are going to frame it slightly differently they're going to process it slightly differently they're mm -hmm. going to have different nuances i don't want to be one of those guys that go oh well therefore you know if they haven't said it exactly the way i'm saying it they're, <clears> they're just, not I'm, reformed they're not reformed or they're not my friends <laughs> or they're not christian or whatever it is um yeah we know we're just not going there and um and so yeah you know just as a bit of a preface and you know so he doesn't agree with us we don't agree with him on those nuances but i found as, as a whole you know the the essay i found that i could read it i could glean a lot from it i could make make what he's saying work within my yeah. um i just feel i have a better way to account for the things that he's saying ultimately you know yeah. i suppose that's where it goes um for me and so you know we'll get into what he's saying in a second but just as some uh you know preliminary um, or yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think yeah. maybe just to underline what you're saying and just stress that there are different uh, views in the Reformed world. So we're talking differences amongst Reformed people, differences amongst confessional people. We're, we're inside the family, not, not debating with people outside the family, like dispensationalism, yeah. for example. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah. true. I mean, the, the one part that, Eric, that, you know, just to now bring the, <laughs> the, the douchey side. Um, Stop being nice. Stop enough being of nice. that. Yeah, enough of that. Um, I'm fine. I'm, the whole thing is just that one part. We'll get to it in a second. But he just gets Klein blatantly wrong. You know, he just, I don't know if you guys picked it up, but it's just not, it's not correct. You know, and, and that's just like, okay, that's just irritating because now he's making Klein say something he didn't say and he's making it sound like the whole thing's sounding warped at that point. And it's not even like giving everyone a fair, fair go at the, at the topic. Um, yeah. I don't know if he did that. He pro I mean, obviously he didn't do it on purpose, but I, you know, that, that, that's something that we have to say something about. Um, but then the rest, yeah, as you say, leave, if it's not going to misrepresent any particular view, it's all good. You know, we yeah. can, we can work. And maybe just to preface, uh, before we tack in, um, I found really helpful, uh, the glory cloud, uh, episode four and episode five. Glory Cloud, who are they? Uh, so that's uh, Chris Carhey and Charles Lee Irons. Chuck Lee, mm. I like to call him. Um, so, <laughs> you know, you've heard of Chuck Norris, and now you've heard of Chuck Lee. Oh, that's and, so good. 
good. That is perfect. What happens when Chuck Lee does a push-up? The earth goes down. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. Yes. Uh, he goes up. In, uh, he goes into the upper register. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, basically, what what those uh, two episodes deal with is the uh, republication report by the OPC. Yeah. Um, and that's that's very uh, yeah bears on what we're discussing here. So Absolutely. I found those two episodes uh, just very helpful in terms of. If you're, if you're confused at the end of this episode mm. uh, in terms of what Klein actually believes uh, and the right way to understand things. Why don't we go ahead and take this if right out of that? <laughs> Let's just say when you are confused at the end yeah. of this episode. Because so, he does make that point a few times, doesn't he? About, about and I think, you know, about the confusion over, over interpreting Klein. And I, I don't know enough about Klein's scholarship to, I, I'm, well, if, just scholarship in general, there's always going to be confusion. There's going to be different, you know, points of view. But I guess I had a question for you, Mike, about about whether or not you thought it's that was valid. Because he made the point at the beginning, at the end, he made it a few points, a few times throughout. No, I no. yeah, it's not valid. That's that's one of the. I mean, look, it, there, it's true that there has been confusion, and there've been people that have, you know, really worsened that confusion. It's been unfortunate, and um, you know, papers that have been written. And uh, you know, committees that have been held that have they've really not not helped at all. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, I don't know. I just honestly, it's it seems it's hard not to say that it you know it feels like you, every part of me wants to go. Well, you, there's no way they could have misunderstood Klein on that point. You know, like he's he's, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. quite clear actually when you when you look at him. Um, and so you know, it's like they're trying to squeeze him into and, and not have him be in trouble. They want know, him on their team. A, yeah, they want him on their team. They want him on their they... team and it's just not not really working. So, you know, uh, anyways, well, okay. let, let's let's get less abstract because I think people who are listening yeah. to this will be like, what on earth? What the heck the heck? So um, let's uh, let's open it up with um, something that John, John Owen said, which I think uh, is, you know, rightly quoted up front here. Um, one quickly grasped what John Owen meant when he said that this subject is wrapped up in much obscurity and attended with many difficulties and um and uh anthony burgess i do not find in any point of divinity learned men so confused and perplexed uh, mm -hmm. being like abraham's ram hung in a bush of briars and brambles by the head yeah, <laughs> as yeah, yeah. and yeah. uh you know that's that's that you know spurgeon said something similar yeah i think everyone yeah, who's yeah. really wrestled with they realize okay, well it was my big issue with the with the reform thing was yeah. uh, understanding the mosaic covenant and the law i mean i, I, I don't think i was alone in that but mm. you know it's why for for a long time you know the you know seeing the kind of new covenant side has a certain appeal because at, at least they're recognizing that there is a problem with the way that the the mosaic covenant fits into the greater scheme of of reformed covenant theology and reformed yeah. and reformed biblical theology and so um i you know i resonate with that because it was it was a big pain in the neck for for a long time for me mm. the, this understanding the law gospel and how they fit together understanding the mosaic covenant how it fits with other covenants and and like I said, I arrived at it through basically, basically it was Galatians that, that really helped me uh, sitting down and working through the book of Galatians that really yeah. helped me. To and see he does it. touch on that uh, toward the yeah. end. So, yeah. 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 Um, you know, he, one of the things he says, you know, he actually states as his goal, he hopes that the chapter fairly represents the, the, the Mosaic covenant doctrine within the reformed tradition and serves as a useful guide for anyone trying to understand this. Um, and then he mentions straight afterwards that Klein, uh, you know, there's a large debate about him and, and that's true. Although, you know, as I've just said, kind of a little bit random sometimes. Uh, but, but, you know, one thing that's good because what Klein you know, says, it's, there's a debate as to whether he changed his view or not. Klein did change his view. There's no doubt about that. As you, as you, you go from by oath consigned to kingdom prologue, but what's good here is let's just play it on this turf. He says, well, let's just stick with kingdom prologue. Amen. You know, mm -hmm. let's stick yeah. with kingdom prologue. I, I did feel he was trying to be as representative of Klein as he could be um and that's interesting big chunks of quotes and you know it felt like he was trying to do justice to his i'll position. show you i'll show you actually the he says something and then he quotes something that actually contradicts what he says i'll cool. show you in a second uh when we yeah, get i think i've really seen that yeah. yeah okay yeah totally um the well, maybe uh, before we get that let's just frame it as he's framed it and basically what he wants to do as he begins and and this is an area where we would feel comfortable 
Um, and basically what he wants to say is, you know, there's um, that the Mosaic administration is an administration of the covenant of grace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, he takes the traditional Westminster view, which says there's a covenant of works in Eden. And then there's the covenant of grace is Genesis, Genesis 3.15. And that covenant of grace will go through various administrations of which Moses is one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we can agree with that. That's a very broad brushstroke, which a lot of people sure. go, amen. Can I just say that the, the big problem also he states right up front for me is, is and, and I don't know what you guys think, because there is a sense in which I might agree with what he's saying, but another sense in which, you know, right up, right up front, in, at, at, I think it's page 267, um, where he talks, about, and he quotes from Mark Jones, which also is oh, a red yeah. flag for me. Yeah. But, but he talks about <laughs> yeah. how um, the basically in, in order to in order to to make uh, the mosaic covenant sort of a, a part of 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 the a covenant of grace in the way that he does, he has to make the covenant of grace a bilateral covenant mm. in well, order I- to encompass it. And I, I understand that there is some sort of call for involvement, you know, um, yeah. from God's people in the covenant of grace. Yeah. I, I'm yeah. not, but, but calling it a bilateral covenant, I think, is problematic for me. I don't know what you guys thought about that. And it seems like that's what you have to do to incorporate the, the classic reform view. You have to uh, yeah. stretch the covenant of grace to, to become a bilateral covenant, to incorporate the Mosaic covenant with its conditions. Absolutely. And so that in turn is going gonna, is gonna to cast a kind of Mosaic shadow across every covenant in the covenant of grace. And maybe even every before administration. we... Yes, absolutely. And maybe even before we answer that or go down that track, it might be worth on that same point to throw in the, you know, right after sort of saying, hey, we're going to take Klein on Kingdom Prologue and think about what Klein says on Kingdom Prologue, where he basically moves from this dichotomous position to a, you know, a, a threefold covenant schema. Uh, and then he goes, okay, well, I am personally just going to worry about the, the twofold covenant schema. I'm just going to go with this dichotomous thing, which does present some difficulties on its own. Um, you know, I, I think as Klein showed, he saw some continuity with the way in which, you know, the law, the priority of the law, you know, was important. You know, you've got these two covenant of works things going on essentially with Christ keeping the works uh, covenant for us. Um, you know, if, if you don't have a covenant of redemption to put that in, you have to kind of squeeze all that stuff into the covenant of grace. And then you end up with even more complexity around this issue of what, what, what exactly was that covenant? Was it, um, you know, was it, was it Christ as the covenant Lord? Was it Christ as the covenant servant? Was it, um, you know, yeah. where, what is our place and who, who is being, who are the parties of that covenant exactly? So it just becomes a very difficult thing to try and navigate that. Um, and when you move into this, uh, you know, covenant of redemption, it kind of frees you up to think more clearly about what's going on with that covenant of grace. So, you know, I, I, I see an immediate point of tension here in that he's just, um, he's just set up that, you know, we're, we're going to look at what Klein is saying via the the three covenant view, and then he's going to stick to the two covenant view, and you've got some, it's it's not translating well at that point. Um, and so that together with the issue of whether something is unilateral or bilateral, uh, yeah. you know, we have to come back to that. Yeah. Because I mean, maybe just to uh, jump in there, depending on, on what you mean by bi- bilateral, exactly. I can live with it. Depending exactly. on what you yeah, mean, yeah. whether there's dichotomist or trichotomist, right. I can live with it. Right. So it's, yeah. it's, it's how you define those terms. Well, immediately, you know, to. just just if we're talking about it now, I mean, you've got the covenant of redemption. That's obviously going to be, you know, something that, you know, as it applies to us, we see it as a, alt, a everyone agrees. This is something that God is doing. We're passive in, you know, everyone who's in the covenant of redemption is ultimately, you know, in heaven. And this is, you know, so the whole, we're, you know, we're talking salvation through and through there. Um, but, you know, one of the reasons I appreciate this topic as well is um, way back in the day when I really did a deep dive in, into uh, John Gill and um, and his flattening of the covenant of redemption into the covenant of grace. I remember reading a, a dissertation by uh, Tom, uh, not Tom Nettles, um, Tom Askell, uh, and his dissertation on uh, on uh, Gill and uh, how that went wrong. You know how all the things that that you need, even with the Baptist so you know, leaving aside the kinds of uh, implications that one could derive for a more Presbyterian ecclesiology, just just leave all that aside and just stick within Baptist categories for a second. 
and you still he shows in that in that uh, dissertation you still need a, a divide you know just for issues of justification you, you need a covenant of redemption you need a covenant of grace you need to be able to think about the different parties you know you need you need if, if even if you're not going to put it in terms of unilateral and bilateral covenants you still need a way to differentiate so yeah and i totally agree with what you're saying there nick um it really does come down to like what do you mean you know it's almost like it, is yeah. the covenant conditional basically you know oh my goodness could you ask a more nebulous question <laughs> you know <laughs> like what do you mean by that exactly yeah. so yeah, yeah. Uh, you know yes maybe no it depends is that yeah. <laughs> Part, part of the problem, I think, was the way you spoke about, um, you know, the, the 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 conditions of the Mosaic Covenant. Yes, because that's where it gets problematic. Amen. Yeah, yeah. Because he was kind of implying that um, what's going on with them is what's going on in the New Covenant. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's oh, look, you don't keep the conditions of the New Covenant in order to merit further blessings or in order to attain further blessings. You you keep the New Covenant out of gratitude. Uh, you keep the the mosaic covenant out of gratitude yeah. not to not to attain blessings and that's something that i, I just find that a little bit sort of disingenuous because yeah. Yeah. while yeah. obviously for anyone who's in the covenant of grace there would be gratitude involved in keeping the mosaic covenant yeah. obviously yeah. yeah because um you 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 know and love the lord right but mm. um if at the same time, there is also the, the very clear implication that if I do not keep the covenant, I'm out of the land. Like, and so obviously, as a member of the covenant of grace, I want to keep the covenant, and I'm grateful to God for providing this means, mm. but I am doing it so that I can stay in the land and be prosperous as well. You know, like that, that's a, at the very least, that's a part of it. And I think that it, it, that's what I mean about kind of stretching the covenant of grace to include yeah. mm. this bilateral element, because mm. then that just reads forward into the new covenant. So suddenly living the Christian life becomes, uh, oh, well, obviously the Christian life is out of gratitude, but part of that is also making sure that we do and, our bit. And even the blessings. curses and blessings, because I mean, that's the disingenuous part for me. I mean, you are just not taking into account those like curses, <laughs> you know, yeah. that yeah. are really the curses, <laughs> just like you just do a yeah. mic drop on the curses, you know, just, just, yeah. we could read through those and then you try and squeeze that into yeah, any yeah. covenant of grace. I want to see that happen. Yeah. You know, they, but, they but, right but that is, there. that's exactly it, isn't it? Yeah. That's, that's, that's what we worry about will happen and, yeah. and does yeah. happen. Yeah. yeah. And just to underline what you're saying there, Andre, I mean, he, he starts off uh, by talking about how the greatest change in terms of continu continuity and discontinuity is not uh, between the old and the new, but rather between the covenant of works moving into the covenant of grace. Mm. So that the covenant of grace basically is this large stretch of uniformity mm. where everything, whether it's the mosaic or the new or the Abrahamic, it's mm. all sort of one flavor. There's this big brand of how things all function together in this side of things. Mm. Uh, whereas I think um, if, if I can, fly the flag and ring the bell for a moment. Hmm. I think being a Baptist really helps here because hmm. we do also see a major turning point of discontinuity between the mosaic and the new covenant. Hmm. And um, well, there's you an know, important and even on that point, distinction there. Yeah. I mean, obviously I agree with you there, but you know, it's almost like the same point in some sense, which is not what he's picking up. Like the, the, the difference, but the whole point of the republication idea is that whatever discontinuity is going on between works and grace at the fall, uh, is the thing that we're picking up on, you know, in terms of uh, the new covenant and the Mosaic covenant distinction. So, you know, it's it's exact, and to deny that is the problem, you know, to say, oh yeah, well, we see prior to the fall, the covenant of works, and then, wow, there's this big discontinuity to grace in the covenant of grace. And then to deny that that's happening in the Mosaic covenant, the old covenant in that sense, and the new covenant, is really to deny the whole point of the Mosaic Covenant in bringing that discontinuity out, right? That's the whole, the whole deal in the Old Testament is to go, all right, let's let's republish Adam's covenant, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Let's let in order to show the radical discontinuity between old and new covenants, uh, and to Jeremiah thirty-one and so forth. Yeah, exactly. And and one of the key points that you use to kind of undergird that as well is the whole idea that there is provision for forgiveness and for restoration you know within the mosaic covenant mm. which is obviously true to an extent mm. but i just think you massively what one one key factor in that argument that has to be incorporated is that um there wasn't provision for every kind of sin 
you know, they actually the provision was very limited and there were lots of things for which there was no provision, you know, and uh, th there were certain sins that could not be atoned for uh, in, the, in the Mosaic Covenant. Um, you know, most of the, yeah, yeah, the death penalty was the way that was sorted out, not the, you know, like, so for example, for idolatry or for, uh, for murder or something like that. You, 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 it's not like you could just go to the priest and make a sacrifice and be all good. Um, you know, you, you would, you would, you would have to suffer the, the penalty. And so, um, again, even with the provision for forgiveness in the Mosaic Covenant, there are strong signs to say that that's really uh, serving only as a shadow, which you would acknowledge, but also as a strong sign saying that that actually isn't the focus of the covenant. So it, those kind of shadowy That's elements are there pointing to Christ, but the focus isn't restoration. The focus is to reveal the extent of sin and the, the severity of sin and lead us to Christ. I think I would put it a slightly different way on that point. I might, might be missing something. Let me just throw this out there though. Um, you know, it, it's true. Well, I would say that that all, all everything was atoned for. You know, under the 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 covenant of grace, Old Testament rubric, types and shadows, so forth, uh, so forth. There's a point of forward to to Christ, uh, in the same way as it is for us. the The difference there is just that you've in the Old Testament, the Mosaic economy, you've got this um, state, external, physical, vis visible thing going on in, in a similar dynamic to. The way that um, you know we would have church and state, you know, except obviously not not combined into one uh, mosaic covenant. So, you know, let's say we commit a murder now, you know, we would we would go to Christ, and uh, we, I trust we all believe that you can be forgiven for murdering someone, um, but yeah, then we would still, still have to go to jail. You know, the difference there being that you know it's not that it wasn't being atoned for in the old in the old covenant. It's just that there was this civil aspect. Is that, you know, well, that, no, but 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 the Mosaic Covenant doesn't make provision for sins like that, is my point. Okay. So, so like, yes, someone in Got the it. Covenant of Grace who commits murder isn't going to go to hell um, necessarily. And obviously, there's, there's true repentance if they are genuinely part of the Covenant of Grace. Yeah. And obviously, there's a term for them in the same way that there is for us because Christ yep. will save them. But the um, Within the Mosaic Covenant itself, there is no provision for sins like that. That that was the point I was making. There's a yep. there's an inbuilt limitation to Got the it. amount of restoration that can take place within the Mosaic Covenant. Well, uh, okay, so I suppose that's what was, was throwing me. I mean, the, the, you know, with the, I you know, and let's let's use the opportunity to clarify because this is why I think this is so helpful, uh, where you talk differently about the Mosaic economy and the Mosaic Covenant. You know, right, right. because the Mosaic economy would include the Mosaic covenant and the Abrahamic covenant and everything, you know, that's running through uh, that period. And so, you know, it's all working together. So, you know, if we're saying, could any sin be atoned for, you know, uh, in a, in, I don't want to overly qualify that now, but you know what I mean? Any, any sin yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. being atoned for during the Mosaic economy, uh, yeah. then the answer I would say is yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, but yeah. it's it's not that we're saying that that's getting rooted in the underlying Abrahamic covenant that is forming that part yeah. of the mosaic economy. But what yeah. you're saying, if I'm reading you right here, is the mosaic uh, law itself that you know I would even push that further. Covenant, yeah, the the mosaic covenant as it centers on these laws and stuff doesn't make any provision for yeah. any. Uh, you know, are you seeing something there in terms of any? Restoration? Well, no, I, I think there is. I think, I think, yeah, I'm not sure I'd be willing to go that far. I mean, obviously, we know that it only made provision in a foreshadowing sense. So the blood of bulls and goats can't take away sin. So um, I would see that as part of the, 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 the Abrahamic covenant running through the, um, the Mosaic economy. Maybe right. I can jump in here. My understanding yeah, yeah. of what Andre was saying was, you know, let's say you commit murder. Mm -hmm. uh, the policeman doesn't rush you off to the temple, quickly offer a sacrifice, and then rush you off to go get stoned. You go now on the way to going to get stoned, you may ask the Lord to forgive you and you'll get forgiven by virtue of the covenant of grace. But mm -hmm. administratively, there's no application of sacrifice, though by faith you are getting saved if you are truly repentant. You just rushed straight from crime yeah, to yeah. punishment without yeah. any surety, without any light of shadow, typological sacrifice of Christ being applied to the criminal. Uh, so that's how I took what you were saying on yeah. Yes, that that. That's, I would say, <laughs> well put, well, well put, Nick. That's why we pay you. That's why you get the big bucks. Yeah. 
Um, it's it's a great question. I mean, this is obviously that where it gets all you know intense as you look at it. Um, yeah. There are a few texts that you know to go to in the New Testament where I think you you can sort of make that distinction. But just leaving that aside uh, for now, in terms of the Mosaic economy and Mosaic covenant, yeah, I like what you're saying there, Nick. In that you've got basically, and this is where it does get you know the emphasis, so to speak, uh, at some level. It's certainly at that national typological sort of yeah. level it is um it, there, there's this undeniable thunderous law about it right that this yep. this uh you less know, light less assurance less less knowledge of full atonement and forgiveness yeah, you know, yeah. The, the murderer would have lived under a much greater sense of i don't know what's going to happen to me now yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's That's the right. hebrews 12 thing and the two mount science you know the exactly. the yeah. Uh, you know, the one is is cast in the shadow of judgment, and the other is is not. There's still the same fear and trembling over a, a holy God, but the the whole atmosphere of the covenants is different. I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. I think it's good. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and can, like can I, I said, you touched on something, Mike? There, just just there, that I think is also quite important, and and and, and is a part of this, is I think that he got to the the temporal nature of the mosaic covenant too late in the discussion for me I, I would have liked to you know when he was when he was defining the you know the key points of the covenant he described as a weak covenant and a, a shadowy covenant and a, uh, yeah. I, I would have liked to have seen the whole temporal nature of it put in there because i think that also has a bearing on what you mean when you say things like the aim of the covenant was restoration because it was you know the the the, the covenant's aim was a temporal rest, restoration. You know, the, the there was more going on because of the Abrahamic covenant that was being that was pointing us to Christ. Um, but the the actual covenant was, was about the land and staying in the land and prospering so, in the land with a physical people in a physical land. Yeah, I get that. I would be kind of on the one side of the extreme on on, on this question. But what I would say, and I think it clears it up nicely, and I think I can everything I've looked at it, it bears out on this. Is you know I don't I don't really see the Mosaic Covenant offering any real restoration anywhere. You know I mean sure there is God being merciful and not exacting the full weight of the law every single time they sin. You know that, that's true and 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 that I would put down again to the undergirding uh, grace running through in the Abrahamic Covenant. You see this constant. You know I would strike you down, but for this promise I made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the covenant of grace, the, 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 yeah. the whole thing that Paul's pulling on yeah, yeah, when he gets to Galatians. Um, so what I think ha is happening over there is um, it's right to think that what is all that's demanded of them is, is a, a legibility of obedience. You know, they need to be, yeah, yeah, yeah. Need to be legible. Oh, I think I understand. Okay. So, so just to clarify, what I was yeah. saying is that for him to articulate his point of view truly, because he was using the language of restoration. So I wasn't saying that's that's my view. I was okay. saying he's using that language. And in order for him to do that fairly and truly, I think he needs to incorporate the temporal nature of the covenant in earlier in the discussion was the point I was making. So yeah. I, I think I agree with you. I think I would agree with you that yeah. the that, that the covenant itself doesn't offer that that register that that um, reconciliation. Yeah. The economy does during that period. The economy the does, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's so I'd agree with that. I'm just yeah. saying, if you're going to make the point from the other point of view, if you're going to try and argue yeah. that that it is an administration of the covenant of grace in the way that he's talking about it, yeah, yeah, um, then I think you've got to factor in the temporal nature of the covenant earlier on. Is all I was saying. Okay. Yeah. Good. Well, on that point, just before we lose that trail, and, and just coming back to what he was saying here, um, this is what I was talking about earlier. I just quickly found the reference. Let's just. Um, for anyone that, that is looking at this page 166, according to my notes here, um, uh, he's talking about Klein and he says, uh, so while there's a way to read Klein to make the case that he held to a substantial republication of the covenant of works in Kingdom Prologue, uh, Klein says that the Mosaic covenant is an administration of the covenant of grace. All right. Now just think about the language we've just been using, you know, the Mosaic covenant is yeah. an administration of the covenant of grace like did Klein say that well he's got a quote for us right here and then okay, yeah. the first three words of the quote of what Klein is saying the mosaic economy Klein says while an administration of grace yeah, okay. on its fundamental level of concern with the inter etc etc uh, he's not talking about the mosaic covenant he's talking about the mosaic economy so you know yeah. I mean that is just wrong you know he's just he's just 
didn't pick that up. So just and, can you um, pin down for us there, Mike? When we're talking about economy, yeah. what are we talking about? When we're just talking a period about period of time, what dispensation. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah. just that period in, uh, in redemptive history. Uh, it's the way things worked in that period. It's of history, from the basically. from the time you know. So you've got the the covenant of grace. That's true. Mm-hmm. Um, it's running through the mosaic economy. That's true. You know, technically, strictly speaking, it is, um, you know, more properly administrative elements, the accidents. Well, well, even before I go there, I'll just say more properly the Abrahamic covenant. Basically, you've got this underlying level of, of grace, which is really what we're talking about when we talk about the covenant of grace there, which mm-hmm. is in direct continuity with the Abrahamic covenant. The reason I'm going here as well is not just because of Klein, but because of what I think Paul is saying in Galatians. I realize we haven't got yeah. there yet. But the whole yeah, yeah. point he's making there is like basically, um, you know, yeah. the, the whole thing is when Moses comes, it doesn't annul the previous covenant. That's the actual covenant that leads to the new covenant. This is superimposed upon that yes. covenant so as to yes. show you the need for that covenant. So really, Paul's keeping them, you know, running together like train tracks throughout the Mosaic economy. But yeah. it is true that from the introduction of the Mosaic covenant, we have an economy beginning that is administratively to pick up on what you were saying there nick just administratively enhanced there's a whole lot going on there that you know it does it it does have in view the mosaic covenant so it's not just operating as if the mosaic covenant didn't happen um and and there are things that are part and parcel of what has been revealed uh during that period that extend on what was promised to abraham you know you've got uh, well, even just start, starting all the way back from Genesis three fifteen, you know, you've got um, you don't just have a promise of someone who is going to suffer, you know, you've got a, a sacrifice, an atonement, a priestly system, a tabernacle, uh, you know, all of those things are. Yeah, someone put it this way. I can't remember exactly who and exactly where, but just basically, you know, w- when it comes down to it anything related to grace and forgiveness in the new covenant is ultimately going to be part of this thing that we're seeing fleshed out in a, in a covenant of grace underlying the mosaic covenant, which properly speaking is related to the law principle. Uh, So, you know, it's a, it's one way to look at it. Well, maybe let's backtrack a little bit. We may have lost some of the newbies to covenant theology. So let's go back to the dichotomous. Here's the question. Did yeah. we ever have the newbies, bro? Oh, dude. <laughs> I don't some, think this. Some guys in my church who are listening to this. I would like to well, take, as know, a responsible pastor, a shout London, out to yeah. Seth. Hey, Seth. As, as a responsible pastor, <laughs> I would like to hey, take Seth. the opportunity to tell you to run right now. This is, <laughs> <laughs> this is not going to be helpful for you. you know, um, come there are back, guys come in my back. church who listen to this as well. And I think they're, they're coming in as, yeah, I enjoyed, enjoyed listening to it. Not sure I understood any of it. But, yeah. well, <laughs> you know, look, it's our opportunity to nerd out that's what this is i defend our right to nerd out on this yeah, because right. we, we we don't get to nerd out anywhere any other time this is where we get no. to do it so you know I, I must be emphatic on that point we are absolute ridiculous nerds no for sure okay. well i think i mean Agreed. since we're talking about the mosaic uh covenant i think we do need to to you know talk about the subservient covenant aspect and then the typological way in which the subservient covenant is administered yeah, yeah. So and get- also just to, to tack on to that the, the fact that in galatians 3 it's very clearly a distinct covenant and that was the one thing conspicuous by its absence in this essay yeah uh, you know well, that paul is very very clear that there it is distinct yeah, I mean, neither I mean, he, a man he knows that view, but he rejects it yeah well, yeah but look, i'm saying this is the exact wording though. of paul yeah right. just just the whole um I mean, this is, I find this really quite like amazing that, that people can go in this direction with what Paul's saying there. Yeah. I mean, look, I understand you can make it sort of move in this direction, but basically saying that, you know, no, you know, when Paul quotes, um, was it uh, Leviticus 18.5, you know, um, he, he doesn't shall mean, therefore keep my statutes. Yeah. Yeah. He's not, he's not like, he's not like connecting it to the law law, you know, <laughs> he's just, he's just basically really mm. saying that, Hey, if you took it to that extreme and, you know, without faith, then, then, you know, obviously you're a legalist and you have to keep the whole law. I mean, my goodness. Yeah. That is no, just, so we all know that the thing to land on is it's faith and works. That's what, <laughs> that's what we want to know. Exactly. <laughs> Which for anyone watching this, who is a newbie, that's not right. 
It's not right. <laughs> now he would reject what you're saying, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Of um, course. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Although I did smile to myself as he was kind of saying, "Paul's attacking the legalists." By saying no, no, of course you can't do it without faith. It's faith and works that is yeah. necessary. Yeah, it did did not make sense. But the um, uh, yeah, I I do think genuinely that the one thing that was missing again is is you even if you don't agree with it, you've got to account for Paul's language. He labors the point that the Mosaic covenant does not is distinct and it does not amend the the covenant of grace. The so law it's not is adding not a faith. To, yeah. The law is not a faith. It's 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 something else. So it 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 is a distinct covenant that is serving the covenant of grace. But it's yeah. Anyway, Brian Estelle he does mention um, that yep. essay that he writes is fantastic on this. You know, just really. Um, I'm just seeing a little yeah. thing. Yeah, in some Estelle and others uh, for Paul for Estelle and others, Paul is not repurposing Leviticus no. 18:5 for the sake of argument against legalism. Rather, Paul is highlighting an actual antithesis between righteousness of the law and the righteousness of faith. Yeah, yeah. agree. So, so let me set it up in light of that book that you've just quoted from. So that's the book, "The Law Is Not a Faith," edited yeah. by Fesco and Estelle and others, mm -hmm. and uh, the whole the whole problem that the book looks at is how do we account for the legal aspect of the mosaic covenant and what we're saying is that klein had the best approach basically unless you look at it through the lens of republication unless you look at it through the lens of a typological subservient covenant you're going to be mixing law and gospel together and running into all sorts of areas where you you're causing a conditionality to be brought into the covenant of grace because yeah. you're, you're trying to flatten out the way in which uh, the Mosaic covenant and the new covenant are uh, on a par with each other. Mm -hmm. So unless you're seeing that difference, unless you're seeing that contrast and not a continuum. Um, yeah. 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 And the same would be true at the other end of the spectrum as well, because unless you have that nuance that does incorporate the Mosaic, um, the Mosaic covenant into things, then you're going to go the other end of the extreme and just remove any, any laws or any, any conditions because right. you're just going to end up saying there's no place yeah exactly yeah, yeah there's no yeah. place for any of this. Yeah. Uh, yeah exactly so it, it becomes a, a a real um a convincing way to um just pull the bible together really and, and yeah. understand all its parts yeah i mean, just just uh coming back to the old testament and you know is you know, the, the conditionality of the Mosaic Covenant, you know, do, is it a case of simply just like the Christian life, you know, we, we get saved by grace and out of this great gratitude, you know, we serve the Lord and anytime we get disciplined, whether it's the exile or the destruction of the temple, it's just like a fatherly chastening. Exactly. It's not, yeah. re it's not really judgment. And, not, uh, yeah. you know, I think it's uh, our friend Chuck Lee and uh, Chris Cahey did, did, did stress that when, when the temple is destroyed mm. in 70 AD, uh, yeah. That is the high point of judgment yeah. that is being expressed, um, you know, the, the, in, in the biggest typological way. Yeah. Judgment yeah. day. It's like, dude. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's you know, the, the ultimate destruction of the temple, which is the ultimate destruction of the earth. We, we like, know what that the temple that, is. If is that's a fatherly chastening, we're in deep, deep trouble. It's basically yeah, that's not fatherly I'm, I'm chastening. Not that is a well. typological judgment being poured out. Yeah. yeah and and so if that, is the, if that is the climax of the curses of the Mosaic Covenant, that is not part of the covenant of grace. Yeah. Hmm. And we have to account for that, that strong element of judgment. And we can only do that by reading it typologically. And, I, you know, and I'm according okay. to a principle of works. And I'm okay with saying, you know, just using, going on exactly what you were saying there. Absolutely. Amen. And then could you say that it was part of the covenant of grace in a subservient sense? Amen. Uh, Topological. So as, as long as you're saying it that way, that's fine. So, yeah. And that's why it's part. limited to physical curses yes. Yes. and not spiritual. So you right. could have someone who's a born again Christian who was part of the, you know, when Rome came in and ransacked and they died as part of the, the siege, as it were, mm. that they would, they would participate in the physical aspects of the curse, but spiritually they would die and go to heaven. Mm -hmm. Amen. Yeah. Just like Moses, you know, he didn't enter the land, but he yeah. died and go to heaven. Just like Daniel. And that, that, that point that you just made just confused me no end until, you know, to get hold of that really does make the whole thing make sense because I'm like, well, but what happened to those guys in exile? And they were all, did they all go to hell? Were they not Christians? And, and like, how did God make sure that the Babylonians only took the bad guys, you know? And mm -hmm. it's, it's just, um, it, yeah, it's such an important point. I think yeah. just ties, ties everything yeah. together. Yeah, totally. You know, and, and uh, again, just 
just thinking about, well, he doesn't say this thankfully, but the implication is just constantly, you know, if, you, if you're not going to say this sort of thing and go along with what Klein articulated there, then, you know, it's true that you might be able to word it in a less theocratic way or, or the, theonomic way, I should say, or, or um, uh, try and just, you know, rein it in somehow and just avoid the implications. But but it just seeps through. And I think this is what we're always so worried about. It seeps through in, in a kind of legalism in Christianity. But not only that, almost like a prosperity gospel legalism thing in that you, um, you know, the curses get spiritualized, the blessings get spiritualized, right? So, you know, in fact, it's so striking. You read through uh, Frame's uh, critique of two kingdom doctrine and, and when he gets to Klein especially um, you know he he's he's like well you know I, I'm okay with he actually says this I'm okay with there being a republication of the Mosaic Covenant if we're also happy with the fact that that republication of the covenant of works happens in every covenant from the fall <laughs> so and, and let me tell you what he'll quote he'll quote Ephesians 6 verse 2 and 3 where Paul takes the fifth commandment calls children to obey their parents so that you may live long in the, in the land. land yeah exactly and, well and, it's and, that now let me just be quickly let me yeah. be clear I'm not saying that frames abandoned the gospel and he's basically uh, you know he's going basically a hard out covenant of works all the way through what he's saying though is that even the covenant of works prior to the fall was actually a kind of covenant of grace and so it's all it's all one and you know to the degree that that gets republished all the time no problem and, and then he goes well he makes statements like this well okay if you're going to tell me that they they lost out on the blessings of the land um the reality is every time we turn away from god we lose out on blessings you know it's like always the case and 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 you know it's so difficult to because that's it's like, just flattening it and not not you're still not accounting for the the destruction of the temple you're still not accounting for the exile yeah still well, not accounting for how he does do it for anyone interested is via a situational like you know he's triperspectivalism so you get that's the, the principle is that god the king tells us what to do when he tells us to do it and so forth and and so you've got this unique we what we call eschatological intrusion he just said okay that was just a situational scenario <laughs> and it's just you know he tries to account for it but but at the end of the day um i think that you you really are just yeah, you're losing the edges of everything, uh, and it becomes a a, ne a nebulous, uh, a trispect. Someone said a triperspectival hash. I think it was Klein that said <laughs> that, and that's true. You know, it ends up just just really getting problematic. But you know, it's what I was going to say though is it's difficult because sometimes, especially people hearing this for the first time, they'd be like, "Well, it's true. Obviously, if you turn away from God, you're going to lose blessings." I mean, like yeah. something intuitive about that. But it's just okay. You know, that's that's not enough of a statement to, to account for. Yeah. for well, maybe, maybe I could uh, rehash a little bit of my sermon on Sunday. So I'm preaching through Ephesians 6. I'm preaching on uh, children obey your parents. And we look at Paul uh, appealing to the fifth commandment. And uh, we see him talking about blessings. We see him talking about living long. We see him talking about prospering in the land. Um, and so the, the question is in the new covenant, how do we read these promises if a, we're not Jews, B, we're not in the land, um, and C, we're in the new covenant. How does, how does this all work? And uh, we, we have to say, on the one hand, on account of, by virtue of living in God's creation, he has built into his creation in some sense, cause and effect, that if you do bad things, bad things will happen to you. If you drink and drive, you'll probably crash. So just in terms of, you know, basic common grace realities of cause mm. and effect mm. there, there is some sense in which you'll lose blessing and there we can maybe go to some extent with frame but then we have to step back and, and and start denying certain things we have to deny any sense of prosperity gospel any sense of if you do this you will always guarantee a blessing for yourself because we're living in some sort of theocratic um, covenant or administration and then we have to go one step further and say that um in the Old Testament, living long in the land and doing well in the land were both typological uh, promises pointing forward to new creation reality. So living long is about as far as you can get to reversing the curse on the day that you eat of this, you shall die. And things going well for you would be uh, as you know, the opposite direction of thorns and thistles and, and the effects of the curse coming upon you. For sure. And so, and so we understand that Paul at that point would be eschatologizing 
sure. the promise yeah. that he'd be he'd be pointing forward to the new creation and what the land was always intended to point forward to and mm. so bringing that back to what children should be taking away from the way in which paul's applying the law is basically paul is saying to to the kids when your parents tell you about jesus and believing in him to get into the new creation mm. obey them totally Amen. I was so, so thankful that's over. So I was starting to feel like like I was in your church and I was getting a sense of like how long your sermons are. Dude, oh. 46 minutes. Yeah. I was just like, you know that anyone from my church I, is listening. I was like, oh my goodness. Wow. How long do you preach for? Bro? I'm not I'm not the only I, one. I preached on Sunday for an hour. Gosh, shush. <laughs> I don't know, but I've, I've preached too long, too long. I'm just kidding. No, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, one hundred percent. I agree. That's that's a great point. Now, maybe just uh, because we're getting onto an hour for this one, let's kind of sort of land the plane here. And w- one thing, maybe just to stay positively, is that you know when he he works around the whole uh, Leviticus thing and the law and uh, grace into this, and then he doesn't go in frames direction here in this essay, and he doesn't go in uh, where a, the- a theonomist might go. He tr- he's one of those guys that tries to reel it in, and you know is about as agreeable as you could ever be with that position to someone, let's say, of our position. And so, for example, we'll say in the context of those who want to claim descent from Abraham as evidence of a right relationship with God. Jesus distinguishes between the true descendants of Abraham and those who are not. In this context, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Um, Richard Hayes further, uh, further connects John 8 with Paul's discussion in Galatians 3, where Paul argues that those who want to live by the law must do the law perfectly. So he's basically getting functionally to the same place that we would we would get. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, anyone who's going to put themselves under the law is not under grace. It's just that what we're saying here is, so it's not like we're disagreeing with that endpoint in some sense. We're, what we're doing is saying I, he can't really account for that endpoint the way yeah. that he wants to, and you know there's a better way to do it, um, and that would be our, I suppose, number one critique with this essay. Yeah, that's good. Nice. All right. Let's uh, lest I be accused of being long-winded. Let's. Uh... <laughs> I feel like we've we, there's so much more to say, but let let's yeah. let people go read the read the chapter in the book. Read the chapter if you can afford this extremely expensive book. If you can't, you're just, just going to have to take our word for it. Because uh, <laughs> it is expensive. It's one of those pricey guys. All right. Um, thank you, brothers. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Shalom thank to you, all. Andre.